From the US to Europe, an international podcast breaking down structured credit one tranche at a time. Welcome to The Last Tranche, Credit Flux's bi-monthly podcast discussing CLOs and all things structured credit. I am your host and reporter with Credit Flux, Hugh Minch. Hello and welcome to The Last Tranche. I'm Hugh Minch, I'm a reporter with Credit Flux and joining me today to discuss all things CLOs is Jay Huang, Head of Structured Credit Investments at CIFC Asset Management. Jay, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me today, Hugh. Uh, so it was, I think, a curious first quarter to 2021 in the CLO market. We began the year with a huge rally um, along with other asset classes, but that was followed by a little bit of softening more recently. Uh, could you point us to some of the trends that you're seeing in CLO liability tranches? Sure. So March, um, CLOs were probably one of the few asset classes that had a, a down month. Uh, and there were two particular reasons for that. One was supply. So there's been record issuance uh, and record volume of CLO refinancings and resets. This introduces additional supply into the market um, going into quarter end. The second reason is that on quarter end, as we all know, broker dealers generally speaking, tend to be capital constrained. So the broker dealers that typically are the biggest liquidity provider of CLOs were constrained towards Q1. From our observation, a little more than average. So the combination of those two led to cheapening of CLO liabilities um, going into April. Now, the good thing is, historically, those capital constraint that leads to downward pressure on pricing is typically temporary. So we're expecting that to reverse in the coming weeks. Okay, that's interesting. So it's sort of driven by maybe a mix of both technicals and maybe decisions from specific large accounts. Is that what you're saying? Typically from the large broker dealers, such as Morgan Stanley, such as Citigroup, and I'm not saying those two specifically, but the large broker dealers that tend to be the liquidity providers um, when there is selling of CLOs. So they were capital constrained and as a result, they weren't as aggressive in terms of pricing to take down positions going into quarter end than usual. Right, I see. Uh, the other interesting thing that we're, we're, we should all be looking at now is, um, you know, the, the Japanese fiscal year coming to an end. Are you expecting to see more deployed into CLOs in the, in the near term? We are. Now, the good thing is that um, these levels, what these levels in the market currently price in is limited Japanese uh, participation into CLO debt tranches. So in other words, uh, CLO participation from Japanese accounts has been rather light in the past couple months um, going into uh, the end of their fiscal year, as you mentioned. Uh, going into Q1, we're expecting additional uh, participation from these Japanese accounts, which can only help the CLO market. Uh, but generally speaking, away from Japanese accounts, Overseas money coming in is also a trend that we're seeing. Where's some of that money coming from? Some coming from uh, Europe, some coming from Asia. With regards to the basis hedging back into the U.S., it's, uh, it's only helped um, over the past year in flows from foreign countries. Are these generally, are they new accounts? Are they people who've been in the CLO market for a long time? What, do you, what, what kind of trends are you seeing on the investor side? On the investor side, on our LP side, I would say we're seeing both, but probably more new account participation than we've seen historically. Okay, that's interesting. I wonder, I wonder what's driving that. Generally speaking, 
just yields across all products, as we all know, are near historical lows. So the really the best way to find yield for those um, for those types of buyers is since the U.S. products and uh, the currency hedging has helped as well. Yeah. What's your view on um, market fundamentals? Yeah. So with regards to uh, the credit fundamentals, as we all know, liquidity has been near its all time highs. So a couple trends that we've seen over the past year with regards to credit fundamentals that we probably were not expecting or very few were expecting at this time last year. The first is the most obvious, which is the availability of credit today relative to a year ago, where the vast majority of, of these companies have been able to get financing if they need it to survive another couple months of potentially lower revenue. The second thing that we've seen is expense cutting. Expense cutting on these companies uh, happened a lot faster since March of last year than most anticipated. So that's been a nice pleasant surprise. Third is asset prices, which many of these companies had assets marked on their books significantly below what they were ultimately worth given how much prices have gone up across the entire market on assets in general. So that's been a nice pleasant surprise. What we're seeing recently now is really the the immediate impacts of the stimulus. And that's provided much more liquidity into market. As we all know, savings, U.S. consumers at near its all-time high. So we're very bullish on credit overall. And we don't, we see a likelihood that this year could be, could experience default rates that are significantly lower than average. It's interesting. I mean, it's, it's probably oversaid, but given where, given where things stood a year ago, um, it's probably definitely not what most people in the market thought we'd be talking about in, in April 2021. That's, that's absolutely right. And to, to give you a, uh, to, to give you an example of the scenarios we were running to, to invest in bonds uh, in April of 2020, since very few, if any, people in the market could actually confidently give you a, a number that could quantify the tail risks of the pandemic at this point last year. We initially, what we just assumed was the worst. So here's an example of one of our stress assumptions. Think of every single industry that you were at least one point concerned about, hotels, airlines, anything travel related, casinos. I mean, you name it, we threw it all in a bucket. It's about 20% of the underlying loans of the CLA universe that we had labeled as high COVID impact industries. Now you probably would think like most that if we assume 50% of all these companies went under over the next 12 months, every other airline that you know about, every other casino and hotel just went under over the next 12 months. That would be a very draconian scenario, if not as one of my investors quoted, that sounds like close to Armageddon. That's true. But what we did was we actually assumed they all defaulted over the next 12 months. So in other words, that was a scenario that we're running. Every single hotel and every single airline defaults over the next 12 months. And what's my yield after that? Clearly today, we're, we just started this conversation talking about potentially historically low default rates. So you're right. It's it's night and day from this point of last year. Yeah, and it seems. I mean, a lot of those assumptions that you mentioned that you at CIS you were having, it seems like they were shared broadly across the market, not not least by uh, by the rating agencies. What what's the what what are you seeing on on the ratings front now when you're looking at the credit market? Well, you hear a lot about uh, in in the in the press on uh, many of the Bloomberg articles, at least that we see. It it tends to uh, highlight the the negatives the the tail negatives of CLOs. A lot of what you don't read about CLOs 
is the rating agency upgrades and credit flux. I mean, you guys did a great job covering that. Um, but long story short, in March, April, May of last year, rating agency actions, in other words, if you count all the times they either upgraded or downgraded loans, about 98% of the time, it was a downgrade. Now, what you don't read about in the press, other than credit flux from what I've seen, is that since June, between 40 to 60% of rating agency actions on loans have actually been upgrades. Um, so they're actually upgrading more loans than they are downgrading these days. I believe that's about double what historical averages have been. So if you're given all this together, what does it mean for CLO equity, especially you know, as a third party CLO equity investor? I know earlier in the year there was, I think a JP Morgan research paper said it was their their, their number one trade of um, where, whenever that was published, February 2020, I believe. Um, as someone who's you know big in investing in third party equity, what's your outlook? Sure. So the, the beauty of investing in CLOs in general is that uh, let's compare it to investing in uh, just an IG index. You're quoted a yield of, let's just say, two and a half percent. Now, what are your assumptions to, to get to that yield? The assumptions are pretty much if nothing defaults over the next X number of years, you're going to get that two and a half percent yield. When you're buying CLO equity or really any any CLO product, when you're quoted a yield, let's just say on CLO equity at 15 percent, that's 15% assuming that there is a default rate already. In other words, you're already baking in, whether it's a two, whether it's a 3% default rate. In other words, it's already a risk adjusted yield. So the benefit of that is if we do experience over the next 12 months, historically low default rates, that's upside. That's a, a significant amount of upside. And there's a good chance that, and we believe there's a good chance that that's actually going to happen. On top of that, everything we mentioned about uh, rating agency upgrades, in terms of triple C's, triple C's viewed as the riskiest loans in the entire CLO universe. Right now, the average triple C is close trading in the context of 90 cents in the dollar. Again, these are the riskiest loans in the entire universe, which also helps the fundamentals of CLOs. All in, it's all a bullish sign for the fundamentals of buying CLO equity. Now, the most important thing about CLO equity today is liability costs. In other words, when you're buying CLO equity, what really dictates your economics are your borrowing costs. And today, when you're buying CLO equity, well, let's just say in the new issue market, you're pretty much locking in close to historical low, close to historical lows and with regards to borrowing costs that we've seen post-crisis. And from historical data, uh, from what we've seen in our observations, that might be the number one indicator of how your equity will do over the long term. Going back to the um, all the the stimulus, there's been a lot of talk recently about you know inflation risk. Um, what does that mean for CLOs in generally, but for CLO equity specifically, if if there's inflation? Sure. Well, uh, one of the reasons that CLOs uh, liabilities um, have lagged, in other words, have historically been been cheap to the credit markets, is the fact that it's a floating rate product. And there hasn't been a period where there's, where there's, um, I guess, anticipation of rising rates as much as there is today. Now, to the extent that becomes a much more confident sentiment, you will see more interest coming into a floating rate products in general. And then when you look at all the floating rate products, you look at CLOs and they're sticking out with regards to the yield that you get relative to the fundamental risks. So long story short, uh, inflation, not only will it help 
the vast majority of the underlying companies within CLOs, but it also increased the demand for CLO liabilities, which is a positive across CLO liabilities and equity. What do you think about the market for CLO equity? Is it getting overcrowded? That's a great question because a, a lot of that's a common question that a lot of investors ask. And uh, one thing I would say, are there an, is there an increased demand for CLO equity this year versus last year or the year before? And there is. Is it overcrowded? One thing uh, investors may not know about CLO equity, the number of active CLO equity investors is not in the hundreds. I would estimate in the context of 20 counterparties are, are make up 80 plus percent of the buyer base. So when we're talking about in increased buyer base, we're talking about potentially five more managers or six or maybe even 10. We're talking about going from 20 to 30, we're not talking about going to 500 to 1,000. So is there more participation? Yes. Is it overcrowded? It's clearly not overcrowded relative uh, to other products. Well, everything sounds very positive so far, but as you mentioned, we in the news industry do like to focus on the negatives from time to time. You've been very vocal about CLOs basing you know, valuations on unreliable data. I was wondering if you could tell our listeners about some of the problems that you have with the way that uh, data is presented in terms of CLOs. Sure, that, that's a great question. Actually, one uh, probably one of my favorite topics. My analogy is, let's just say someone gave you a stock and ask you, hey, what do you think about this stock? Probably one of the first things you would do is you'd probably pull it up uh, in a system such as Bloomberg or FactSet and outspits uh, all the data that the market is using to price that stock. And let's say, hypothetically, you notice that some of those numbers, historical earnings numbers, uh, were reported incorrectly. And everyone's pricing that stock based off of those numbers. And you also notice that error in 5%, 10% of stocks out there. Think of all the trades you would want to put on when you notice that inefficiency. That's similar to what we sometimes see in CLOs, where the market is using models where the underlying data might not be entirely correct. So certain examples are sometimes the underlying coupons of the loans are, are incorrect, believe it or not, which would change the cash flow projections of many investors out there. The best way to make sure that uh, you're using the most up-to-date data is effectively take that model, download it, and compare it to what all the data feeds of loans say about that, those underlying loans. Are they using the right coupons? Are they using the right LIBOR floors? Are all the assets in that CLO actually included? Uh, and that's another story. But um, we do that systematically. It's such, a, it, it's such a big focus for us with regards to data because we, we feel that's the edge of the market is to have the best data and the fastest data that we actually do this systematically across all CLOs every night before we get into the morning. Just focusing in on, you, you mentioned that the, the coupons could be different from what's being reported. Could you give an example of a time where you noticed that this was the case? Sure. It's actually right now. So as we know, there's been a significant pickup in prepayment rates. There's been a significant pickup in repricings of the underlying loans. Now, you typically, when, um, when the vendors that provide these models, what data do they use to model these CLOs? They take data from the most recent trustee report. The one thing is those trustee reports containing that data are usually 30 to 45 days old. Now think of everything that's changed over the last 30 to 45 days. I, you could you probably 
could list 50 different things. That's very similar to the data and these trust reports that are 30 to 45 days old is they, they are outdated and sometimes just outright incorrect. So what we do is, here's an example, we would take that entire data set, well, which loans have repriced? Which loans have actually prepaid? In other words, there are some loans that don't, don't even exist anymore, yet they're being modeled into many of these uh, CLO tranche investments. In other words, convert that outdated data into the most live data you can find and see what the difference is with regards to what the value of that uh, bond is worth today versus what it was worth 30 to 45 days ago. Um, and then you can you, you will see significant differences um, in, in, the, in 10 to 20% of CLOs today. And is there a variation among CLO managers in terms of data quality? There can be. I would say it's, it's, it's more about how recent that trustee report is more than most, but there, there, we have seen some, some managers that leave out some significant information on their trustee reports. Right. And so like, if I say, for example, you're in a scenario like March, 2020, where there's a sudden unprecedented, um, sell-off that's pretty much across the market. What are some of the implications of the lag in data report in data reporting, given that you can't do real-time analysis based on trustee reports? Sure. Uh, a simple example would be downgrades and defaults. So in 2000, in 2020, the biggest theme was which loans have been downgraded because as we all know, that impacts, uh, that could potentially impact your cash flows as downgrades will decrease the amount of over collateralization and could potentially cut off your equity cash flows. So when you're buying a piece of CLO equity today, you want to know well, based on all the loans in that in that port, in, in that trustee report, have there been significant downgrades? And if so, which ones have been downgraded? What we do is we take that trustee report and recalculate all the covenants of that CLO. In other words, recalculate all the OC tests, recalculate all the underlying coupons and project the new cash flows going forward. What we'll find is what we found last year was there was some CLO equity where the OC test significantly decreased over the span of 20, 30 days and wasn't yet reflected in trustee reports. And that in a way will give you somewhat of an advanced information of what the market will see that bond looking like after the next trustee report comes out. That enables you to trade ahead of the new reports coming in. Uh, so the, these issues, what do they mean in, in general terms for CLO equity investors, um, let's say if you, if you, if you weren't able to do this, um, if you weren't able to do this anal analysis, what would it mean? You weren't able to, uh, transform that data into a much more accurate live data. Um, sometimes you could be pricing in, for instance, loans that don't exist anymore. You could be overpaying for something, or maybe you'd be, you'd be getting it cheap relative to the market, but overall using outdated data on CLOs from 45 days ago is, I mean, imagine investing in stocks today, but all you had was information of the market 30 to 45 days ago, how off you could be with regards to your investment process. What are the main implications for given where we are in the market now in 2021? Is there, is there specific data that are, are really impacting equity valuations? Uh, the, the most obvious ones is, is um, the increased repricings and refinancings of of the underlying loans. In other words, many of these loans, they're decreasing their borrowing rate. In other words, the interest they pay into these CLOs. Um, as a result, cash flow projections should be lower based on the new data if you look at the live data today. And I think the market generally knows that. 
However, to be able to quantify that for a specific zero equity security that you're looking at, especially since you're 10 times lever to any change, that's, that's very important to be that precise when you're looking at these. So generally speaking, if you do reflect live data today relative to what's modeled out there, you'll see lower CLO cash flows going forward. So at the moment, where in the CLO capital structure do you find the best opportunities? We've always found double B rated CLOs compelling. And that's because uh, if we look up across really any product out there, not just securities, but even available investments, to find a product that you can demonstrate could likely uh, survive maybe two times or even three times the financial crisis and still pay you in the context of even a seven to eight percent yield. I don't really know of many securities out there you can you can demonstrate that about. Actually, I don't know any. So double BCLOs have always been compelling to us. And upon a dislocation like last year, uh, usually that is the first security because it's quote unquote double B rated. That's usually the, one of the first securities to become dislocated with the rest of the market. So we usually see that as a buying opportunity, not just upon dislocations, but just when you're looking for that stable seven to eight percent yield. And the second is uh, obviously CLO equity. Just to reiterate what I mentioned before, it's when you're buying CLO equity, you're pricing in, uh, generally speaking, historical average default rates. However, in the short term, we're actually seeing a potential of significantly lower than historical average default rates of credit. So Q2's just got underway. We're about halfway through the month of April now. Looking at the, the quarters, quarter ahead, what, what, what is exciting you? Uh, maybe what's what's um, what's giving you pause for thought? What are you thinking about the uh, the general outlook for CLOs? We think there might be some opportunities in June and July. And the reason is because uh, many of these CLOs become callable after one, two years after they're issued. And many deals, many CLOs out there are becoming callable in July, just like any other quarter. However, the, the one thing about what's coming up in July is the fact that many of these deals have much higher than average coupons. In, a, in other words, there'll be, much, there'll be many more deals or much more supply in the market um, because there are many CLOs trying to get refinanced in July. Now, historically, what's that, what, what that has done, that has caused in, uh, a temporary spread widening in CLO liabilities because of the sudden supply into the market. What does that lead to? That leads to a potential cheapening of loans in July. So the one opportunity we're potentially seeing is to be positioned to buy potentially loans at a lower price in June, July, but also some CLO liabilities. So by the by, um, by wide coupons, are you are you referring specifically to twenty twenty CLOs that you know issued maybe that they probably had a one year non call, but they issued post COVID when everything was still up in the air, so they priced much wider of any other vintage. Is that what you're referring to? That's exactly correct. 2020 vintage and 2019 vintage becoming callable uh, coming in July. Um, and when we look at the chart of what their coupons are versus historical quarters or recent quarters when deals become callable, the ones coming up in July are significantly wider than we see in the past few quarters. And on the flip side, anything, anything that you're nervous about or risks on the horizon that you think you think the market's not pricing in? I think that's the biggest one with regards to the uh, potential influx of supply coming in July. Um, that could, if all else stays the same, that would have a have an initial pressure on 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 pricing with within, with CLOs in June and July. 
I see. Uh, well, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. Jay, thank you so much for joining me today. It was great to have you. All right, I enjoyed it. Thanks, you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Last Tranche. If you like our show and want to know more, subscribe to Credit Flux and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share our content.